Hello to all from rainy and chilly Tyler, Texas on a Tuesday afternoon. Uh, we are getting a lot of rain and uh, I hope that you and yours are staying dry and doing okay. Uh, what a difficult time this is and what a, an important week this is. Uh, Martin Luther King Day yesterday, Religious Freedom uh, Day, Celebration Day uh, here, uh, the Sanctity of Life Day. There's just a lot of things going on, of course, of great significance. As you know, is the presidential inauguration uh, tomorrow, inauguration of uh, Joe Biden as our president, Kamala Harris as our vice president. And uh, we keep our elected leaders and appointed leaders in our prayers and in our hearts. We're thankful for President Trump and Vice President Pence and their staff and the service that they have done for our country. And we pray for our uh, new administration that the Lord would bless them and that he would bless us through them uh, over these next years. Uh, we know that whoever resides in the White House, uh, Jesus resides on the throne. And uh, our mission doesn't change. Our call is to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, as Jesus declared in Matthew chapter 6. And as we uh, try to seek and to save the lost, as Jesus affirmed his purpose was in Luke uh, chapter 19, verse 10. And our call to be servants, to let our lights shine, Matthew 5, to uh, serve rather than to be served. Uh, just as Jesus came to serve rather than be served. So whatever the political landscape, whatever the weather, <laughs> whatever the uh, time and situation, uh, we know that uh, God has called us to serve him and to serve others in his name. And so we are uh, getting going. I see my cousin Gail is signed on, our good friends Eric and Cindy and Myron and Elizabeth. Uh, wonderful to have all of you and to see you and uh, grateful for the encouragement that you bring. We're mindful of those uh, with special needs. Uh, th this week we've had several um, pass away that are connected with our family, our church family, over these last several days and uh, uh, services uh, this week, including today. And, uh, and so we want to remember all of them and their families in our prayers because um, what a difficult time to have a loss. It's hard any time, but especially in the midst of a pandemic, it is especially hard. So our love and our prayers uh, go out uh, to everyone. And, um, and I hope that uh, you will continue to be mindful of the praying that you can do, uh, the love that you can share, and the, the things that you can do to express that love. Um, Today we are in uh, Colossians 1. We've begun a study in the book of Colossians on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 3 p.m. And uh, we talked about the supremacy of Christ in verses 15 through 20 uh, last week. And today we're speaking about the supremacy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so I wanted to start with a little funny. I like this little funny. Borrow money from a pessimist. They don't expect it back. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. Uh, that's pretty good, and I, so those of you who know me know I, I'm not a pessimist. I, uh, I, I try to be a realist, uh, and as I've gotten older, I think that has taken over more and more of my day-to-day -day attitude, um, <clears throat> but I also try to be an optimist. I also try to see the good in things. I think you can choose to see the bad or the good. You can choose to be pessimistic or optimistic. Uh, you can choose to have hope or uh, to not have hope. 
Um, and I, I think it's just better to, to choose uh, one way over the other. Um, so uh, since I'm not a pessimist, you may have to borrow from someone else if you want to find somebody that doesn't expect you to give it back. They may still kind of want you to do that, though. Um, and I do believe, uh, being the optimist that I am, uh, that God is at work in our world today. And I, I think that's been true in every generation. It's been true in every land. It's certainly true in our generation and in our land. Uh, God is at work. He never stops working for his people and those that he has created in his own image, which is everybody, uh, and trying to help uh, his people, especially chosen people, the church, in whatever land they're in, in whatever country, whatever uh, uh, area, whatever their life situation, calls on us to, to do the same thing no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through, and that is to live and act and speak in ways that glorify Him, and to try to help others be able to see uh, that no matter what the, the situation around us holds, um, God is at work in our lives and wants us to be in close relationship uh, with Him. That's what we want to do, and we realize that in our country there have been some indications that that is becoming uh, less and less common and more and more difficult. Um, there was a Christianity Today editorial a few years ago uh, entitled, Why We Need the New Battle for the Bible. And it says this, when it comes to deciding how to follow Jesus Christ in our time, the Bible often takes a backseat even for evangelicals who have long held a high view of Scripture. Sometimes the desire to preserve relationships at all costs prompts us to ignore scriptural teachings. Um, I think that's true. We're so in touch with our feelings, so in touch with those around us and wanting to maintain relationships with them that we put our relationship with our Creator in jeopardy uh, by moving away from His will and His Word in order to maintain those relationships. Uh, other times, the article goes on to say, we have an ill-defined feeling of how the Lord is leading us. Uh, never mind that the leading contradicts scriptural teaching. <laughs> in other words, we're looking for God to lead us in ways, but we're not reading the Bible. <laughs> the Word of God that He has given us that is the guiding authority for us today. If you want to know how God is leading you, then you need to read the, the Word of God. Um, today, this article concludes, Today we need a new battle for the Bible, not for a precise definition of biblical authority that everyone can agree on, but a simple return to the Bible as the final authority in matters of faith and practice, and especially Christian doctrine. If we don't go by the Scripture, if we don't go by the Bible, then we become, um, we become enslaved to whatever the current thought is, whatever the current subjective mood is, whatever our subjective mood is, because Scripture is the only authoritative objective standard that we can find. Yes, I believe the Holy Spirit is alive and well right here in River City and continues to work, um, but the, the Holy Spirit has given us the Word of God, just as Paul the Apostle said in 2 Timothy 3, every single Scripture is God-breathed or inspired and is profitable for all these good works. And, uh, and so when we preach, he tells young Timothy in chapter 4, preach the word. Um, don't just give people what their itching ears want to hear, uh, but rather give them a word from the Lord. And it may not be something they want to hear. It may not be something we necessarily want to hear. 
But if it's the word of God and if it's his will, then we realize maybe instead of trying to change God or change his word into what we want, perhaps we should just try to seek to do what that word says and realize that Jesus came saying, not my will, but yours be done. So if the Son of God said that, maybe we ought to as well. In 2010, the research group Barna had a uh, one of their uh, uh, decades-long uh, series that of research that came out, and one of the statements that they made in that, and this was 10 years ago, was this: the Christian Church is becoming less theologically literate. Not talking about the American society in general or the world, but rather those who name the name of Christ, have some kind of allegiance to Jesus Christ. And what it said is that they're becoming less theologically literate. In other words, we're, we're less and less aware of what the teaching of the Bible is. Uh, what used to be basic, universally known truths about Christianity are now unknown mysteries to a large and growing share of Americans. We just don't know the Bible because we don't read it. The data suggests, they say, that biblical literacy is likely to decline significantly. The theological free-for-all, as they call it, that is encroaching in Protestant churches nationwide suggests the coming decade will be a time of unparalleled theological diversity and inconsistency. Wow, that's pretty strong words. Well, over 10 years into what they called <laughs> in 2010, the coming decade, uh, when those words were written, is there anyone who would argue against the assertion that they're basically right? That we are certainly experiencing that theological free-for-all and that we are in the midst of a time of unparalleled theological diversity and inconsistency. Granted, I know we're human. I know we can't understand everything the scripture teaches. But that doesn't give us permission not to read it and study it. It doesn't give us permission not to try to figure it out and apply it to our lives, rather than just saying, well, I'll just do what I want because um, nobody understands it anyway. Well, that's when you read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, very difficult teaching of Jesus. You don't get the impression at all that he is, doesn't expect his people to live up to that. Granted, he died on the cross because we won't live up to it, but at the same time, he calls us to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses every day, Luke 9, and to follow him, if we're going to be his disciples. Um, and so we are called upon to do just that. Does the Bible have a place in our world today? Does the word of God still have authority in our lives? Uh, is the gospel of Jesus Christ still the good news that everyone needs to hear, obey, and trust? Well, I believe the answers to all of those questions are yes. Yes, there is a place for God's word today. And I'm just crazy enough to believe that people around us, they, they want something that they can live by. They want something more than what this selfish desire of the world that says whatever you want, get, uh, whatever you desire to do, do, and it will bring you pleasure. And maybe it will for a while, but not for long. And I think people realize there's there's no future in that they realize there's nothing firm in that uh, they need something stronger to live by i need something stronger to live by and i believe that that is the word of god i believe that's the gospel of jesus christ so let's look at these verses first of all the supremacy 
of Jesus Christ, the divine sacrifice. This was our last lesson, but let's lead, read these words that lead up to our passage today. Uh, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God. That Son spelled S-O-N. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, verse 18. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he, Christ, might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Uh, what a great and powerful statement of the lordship of Jesus Christ, the preeminence and the supremacy of Christ. And it's because of that statement, it's because of that supremacy and preeminence of Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, Creator, Sustainer, Savior. It's because of all of that that we turn to the next passage, beginning in verse 21, the supremacy of the gospel, the message of salvation. Colossians 1, verses 21 through 23. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This passage, much like Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and uh, Titus 3, verses 3 through 8, that speak about how we were dead in our sins, and then God made us alive. It is through Christ, by grace, through faith that we are saved. And as he goes on, he's going to uh, remember in chapter 2 uh, that connection with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that we see in our baptism, dying to sin, and then being raised to live uh, a new life, a life that is given over to Jesus Christ in a passage very similar to Romans 6. Uh, we'll read that in Colossians 2. Uh, here he is setting the stage based on the supremacy of Christ. Now he speaks of the supremacy and preeminence of the gospel. First of all, the gospel is the good news that we are saved through the death of Christ. We saw that in those verses that just precede this, those verses that say how God made peace through his blood, Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Uh, Jesus was the one who reconciled us. Jesus the, was the one who saved us. In Isaiah 53, it's prophesied uh, 700 years or so before it actually happens that uh, Jesus would be a servant, that he would take our punishment that was due us, and he would take it upon himself, and that we would be healed by the stripes that were laid on him. That great passage, For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not die, not perish, uh, but have everlasting life. Uh, Romans 5 talks about how Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. 
And that's the demonstration of God's great love. And of course, the message of the gospel is really defined in 1 Corinthians 15. How Christ died for our sins, how he was buried, and how he was raised, and how people saw that and attested to that. And so he has given us, according to 2 Corinthians 5, the ministry of reconciliation. So that just as we've been reconciled through the blood of Christ, we call on others, be reconciled to God. You have a Savior. You have someone who can bring forgiveness of sins, and no one else can do that. You have someone who is active in creation, who is actively sustaining the world by his powerful word, and that was the same one who gave his life because he wanted you and me to live. Uh, what a great message that is. The gospel is salvation through Jesus Christ. But then also the gospel calls us to continue in our faith and be unmoved from our hope. Again, these verses in verses 21 and 22 talk about how we were alienated from God. We were separated from God. But then through Christ, through that sacrifice of one who was without blemish and who lived from eternity, now we can be without blemish and free from accusation, not because we're that good and we're that sinless, but because Jesus is that good. And even though he was that sinless, perfect, he was the perfect sacrifice and gave his life for us. And so because of that, now we're called to live a certain way. And that's what verse 23 says. The gospel calls us to continue in our faith and to be unmoved in our hope. If you continue in your faith, he says, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. It is that gospel that saves us. It is that gospel that not only gives us salvation, but also gives us purpose and mission. And in the next passage, we're going to talk a whole lot more about that part, about the purpose and the mission that Jesus calls us to have because of the salvation that he has given us. But we must continue in the faith. 2 Corinthians 5 says we live by faith, not by sight. And by faith, the people of God did all these incredible things in Hebrews 11. It is by faith in Hebrews 12 uh, that Jesus was willing to look away from the scorn and the shame that was being laid on him at the cross, but gave himself for us, for the joy set before him. That great passage in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, uh, that we read just moments ago at a graveside uh, for our, our dear friend and brother, Corbin Stiefer. Um, that great passage and many others that remind us that Jesus is the author, the perfecter, the finisher, the designer, the trailblazer of our faith. But that means that we are to follow him. We're to follow him. And that's what this passage says. If you continue in your faith, verse 23, established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. That's what we're called to do. Scripture never says anywhere that Jesus died on the cross, and so we respond in faith, and then we go out and we live any way we want to live. There's just never a thought of that in Scripture, but rather the other side of that, that we would do everything in the world we possibly could to please him, to please the one who died for us, 
to please the one who, in spite of our own sins, has offered to save us from those sins and has given us a place to live with him forever in heaven. Another passage that I read this morning, uh, a little bit ago this afternoon was that great passage from John 14 where Jesus goes and prepares a place for us, that mansion over the hilltop. Uh, he's guaranteed that. He's getting it ready. And he is the way and the truth and the life. No one can get there. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except by me and through me. John 14, verses 1 through 6. That's a call for us to live an obedient life. Uh, for us to do the will of the Father, as Jesus says in Matthew 7. For us to build our house on the rock, as he tells us at the end of that chapter in Matthew 7 that those who hear his words and do them are like that wise man the children sing about who built his house on a rock. The rains and the floods come just like they're doing today, apparently. Uh, the house stands firm. Why? Because it's built on solid ground. It's built on the solid rock, the solid foundation that Jesus is the Son of God. We're called to live that way. We're called to live lives by faith. Uh, certainly every scripture that you could turn to indicates that God has saved us, but he has saved us and he has given us a calling. He has given us a call to live by faith. Not just be saved by faith, but actually live by faith. I believe that's the message of Romans and Ephesians and every other book of the New Testament that reminds us, it's written to Christians. All of them are, including the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're written to the church. They're written to Christians decades after Jesus died, but still very much in, in that form, remembering that because now the church has been around and the church has been around long enough that Christians know sometimes living faithful, the life of faith is hard. Um, but we live by faith, not by sight. Uh, if we lived by sight, then it would always be easy. We would always do what we want, get what we want, have everything that we want. Um, but that, in that case, we would be our God, not the Lord. And so we live by faith and not by sight. Again, back to that Christianity Today article we mentioned earlier, consensus, as important as it is at times, cannot be the final rule of faith and practice. The Bible is. Boy, what a powerful statement that is. It is crucial, despite a consensus to the contrary, that we remain faithful to what we believe God has revealed in his word. I agree with the message of that editorial. I, too, do not believe that the Holy Spirit is doing a new thing, and that's the justification for turning away from the message of Scripture. I, I believe that the Holy Spirit is still active today, but I can tell you I also believe that the Holy Spirit will not act in any way that will contradict what God's Word says. I believe that's what Scripture teaches. In fact, Scripture teaches that if some great thing gets done and, and, and the message is to turn away from God's Word, that that's not from God. Whatever, However you explain it, I don't know. But what we do know is that we are called to live faithfully according to the Scripture. We do that humbly, recognizing our own limitations, recognizing our own sinfulness, we're, we're people of our day and time. We're caught in this 21st century in America, if, we're, if you're here in America. And that, that in a lot of ways, uh, defines how we look at Scripture and, and how we understand that. But all of those things being said and being true and being acknowledged, we are still called upon to read the Bible. 
we're still called upon to study God's Word. Why? Because we can only be saved if we remain in that faith. That's what these words say. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And that's where people want to stop. But that's not where scripture stops. Verse 23, all those things are true if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Doesn't mean you're going to do it perfectly. It just means you're going to do it faithfully. And when you get off track and when you sin, you come back to God and you repent and you pray and you get back on that track and you get back on that path. Uh, I believe that we're called upon to uh, go by the word of God and to live according to that word, even if the consensus in our country or even in our churches tends to go away from that. Uh, some will accept uh, same-sex marriage and homosexual uh, acts, and Scripture condemns it. We, we stand by that. We do that humbly, but, but firmly. Even though it's becoming more and more acceptable in our society today, it's not taught in Scripture. Uh, people are created in the image of God, and according to Genesis and according to thousands of years of experience, uh, they're created either male or female. And, and that is, that's just biblical teaching. And so we acknowledge that and we realize that people have different personalities and characteristics and preferences and likes and dislikes and, abil and abilities. All of those things are true, but it doesn't change who they are. Um, and in that place, just as Jesus saw that man who had been born blind in John 9 and the disciples wanted to know whose fault was it, his, his sin or his parents, Jesus responded by telling them, look, this this, this has happened for the glory of God. Whatever your situation, whatever your condition, uh, you're called to live a life that glorifies God. And when we do that, then we're a great witness for those uh, around us. Even though our world, especially in this country, in the United States, the most blessed country perhaps ever, ever, in spite of all of our flaws, uh, I wouldn't move anywhere else. I can't imagine being at any other time in any other place. Uh, than right here, right now, because I think this is the most blessed time and the most blessed place ever. Not without struggles and, and tension and conflict. Yeah, sure. Jesus himself said, in the world you'll have trouble. But he also said, take heart, I have overcome the world. He did that by being a servant. He did that by dying on the cross. And he tells us to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow him, and overcome the world the same way. And so that's what we do. We just seek to follow him, seek to please him, seek to love him first, seek to love our neighbor as ourselves, seek to be a servant rather than to be served. And in that way, we glorify God. Whatever else happens, whatever else is true, uh, we seek um, to uh, acknowledge the sanctity of life. Um, that is such an important thing. Uh, all life, uh, born and unborn, all life, um, uh, lives that are uh, born in the normal way, lives that are completely healthy, uh, lives that are not so healthy, that um, lives that are, are, are a struggle. There's value in that life. Lives that are older, lives that are, that are younger. Um, we must stop the culture of death in this country. It's, it's going to kill us 
not kill them. It's going to kill us um, because God reveals that all life is sacred. He gave his son uh, for all of those who have been created in the image of God. Uh, we're, called to, we're called to profess that. It may not be a popular thing at times, but we're called to profess that. And that means we care about people who are struggling, whether it's that uh, unwed mother with a surprise pregnancy. We support her decision to uh, keep that baby and to have that baby and then to uh, give someone a loving family and adoption that baby or to raise that baby herself with help from family and friends in the church. Uh, we support all of those things, but we support it afterwards as well. And we look after her and we want to care for her. And so many great organizations do that. Um, no one does that more than, than Christians, than the church, in spite of what you might hear from the media, that the only thing we care about is to make sure that she has that baby. Well, nobody cares for that baby after birth and for that mother during that time more than people of faith. Um, because we're concerned about that. Whether that's the consensus of our society or not, those are our values, because they're the values of Scripture. They're the values of God. And as Jesus said, God is not a God of the dead. He's a God of the living. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Jesus reminded that the Bible says to the people of his day. Uh, yeah, I do have some concerns, but I'm not a pessimist. I'm optimistic that God will do great things, uh, even in the next four years, yes, just as he has done great things even in the last four years. Um, again, no matter who is residing in the White House, God is on the throne, and Jesus Christ as lo is Lord. And so the supremacy of the gospel leads to the spreading of the gospel. And Paul acknowledges that at the end of this verse, when he says it's gone to every creature under heaven. Um, and we see that as Paul writes, uh, he says, look, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to preach this gospel and to share this message. He calls on us to do the same, to live in such a way uh, that people, as Peter tells us, would ask us, why do we have hope? 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, and we can say that it's because of Jesus Christ. In the midst of great persecution throughout the book of Acts, the church grew and grew and grew. Why? Because they didn't have trouble? No, they had trouble. Uh, they suffered a lot. Um, and at times it looked like the bad guys were winning. Um, but in all the time, Jesus was present, and the church was active, and the church grew. I believe that the hope and the movement toward greater commitment to the Lord and to his word can be found uh, today. It's in people who will uh, claim that, uh, that they are close to God, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the last, next lesson, about the nuns, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S, the ones who say, what's your religion? They say, I have none. Who is your God? I have none. Well, there's a lot more people that will openly admit to that now, but I believe that that also indicates that the ones who say, Jesus is my Lord today, it's not as popular as it once was, you can believe them, and they're going to be firm in that faith, and I think that's a great great thing. Um, the Bible's unique message, its special revelation, is the revelation that God has brought salvation to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As we're going to see in chapter 2 of Colossians, that transcends all world philosophies, communicates in all different languages, and it surpasses all human knowledge. And it's effective in all times and in all cultures. 
in all political moments, including this one. The gospel is supreme and preeminent, and it truly is for all, as the old hymn says. The supremacy of the gospel is the only thing that can save us from our sins, because only the gospel announces the good news of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul affirms in this great first chapter of Colossians, that Jesus Christ is the preeminent one. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Savior. And that the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, is what allows us to be counted blameless before God and gives us the opportunity to live lives of joy and faith and hope. I hope and pray that you'll be with me on Thursday as we continue on and look at the mission and purpose that God has given us as we close out this great first chapter of Colossians. May God bless you and may God bless our United States of America.